0: Good morning, everybody. Um, Today's scripture reading is Acts 6, 1 through 15. In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you and who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit also Philip, Procreus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch a convert to Judaism. They they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as as the provinces of Silica and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the St. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this, is, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses had down to us. All who were sitting in the St. looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel.
1: Anyway, so one of the things that Laura and I have, have appreciated about this church from day one is, is how we have felt cared for by this church. When we first moved up here and the church rallied around and, and helped to move uh, our furniture into our house, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't even there for that. Uh, but the church rallied around and helped, helped move us in uh, they they uh, ahead of time, they contacted us about what colors we wanted in the parsonage and and they they painted the the, the colors the way we wanted to and, and, and just right from the beginning, we felt cared for. I remember then a number of years ago when we had the the big hurricane and the flood and and in, and the, the church rallied around when when water started to come into our basement and and Dennis Collins and I think lenny Pike and, and, and jenny and and, and others came and, and just helped to get our stuff out of the basement before it got. Completely flooded. This is this is a church where we have always felt cared for. When uh, Laura, she, we've had two kids since we've been here, and and when when that took place, in each case, the church rallied around, and people signed up and delivered meals for us. This is when we found out things like that. Lissa Mayer makes really great filet mignon. It's worth actually just having a child for. We're, we're kind of thinking, kind of thinking that way. Wallace Chin, who's not with us anymore here, but. Uh, he, he makes incredible lasagna. I mean, we, we found out the people in this church, they really care for us. I mean, And, and, and we've seen that. Uh, oh, the, Al Martinez makes great pork ribs, just so you know. Uh, and, and Christmas would not be the same without Nancy Chicarella's Christmas cookies. I mean, I could go on and on and on with how people have cared for us. We, every time I walk into the house of J.D. and Angela and Jenna and Julia Dunn, uh, they have such a warmth about their hospitality that I feel like I'm walking into my grandmother's on Thanksgiving Day every time. My kids have never been to Disney World, um, but they have spent an afternoon at the house of Brenda and Eric Martin swimming in their pool. And I'm not really sure that they would be able to tell the difference anyways. What we have noticed from day one is that this is a church where we're new and old, where we have felt cared for. I'll never forget what I saw when they pulled me out of the ambulance at Pascag Valley Hospital. Uh, I have a condition called neurally mediated syncope. It's really just a fancy name for the fact that I'm, I tend to pass out a lot. I have a higher propensity of passing out than most people. I remember when I was in high school or college, I was having a conversation with somebody, and I thought passing out was normal. I just thought that's what part of life, you know, every once in a while you pass out, Right. And this friend, he's like, well, how many times have you passed out? I'm like, I don't know, 15, 20 times? He's like, that's not normal, Kevin. Right? So then I, I discovered that's not normal. And, uh, of course, these days, my wife has been around me enough now where if I pass out, you know, she can, you know, prop my feet up and turn my head over all while she's changing a diaper. Uh, but but in our, our first year here, we hadn't been married for very long. And it was it was a little bit daunting for her when this would happen. One time we were... Well, I was sick. I had had the flu, something like that, and it was about midnight. And we were, we were. I was in bed, and we were talking. And apparently, we had a conversation. And then my my words just trailed off. I turned white, and the eyes rolled into the back of my head, uh, and I passed out. And so my wife immediately she called 911, and an ambulance came and 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 got us. You can, if I'm getting this wrong, babe, you can correct the details. But and uh, an ambulance came and and took me to Pasquette Valley Hospital. It was about 12.30 in the morning, and and, and I remember they opened up the the ambulance door, and I, I looked out, and there was Janet Thames, one of our deaconesses. You see, this is a church where we have always felt cared for. I could go on and on and on and on with stories about how we have felt cared for by the people in this church watching our kids, caring for us in so many different ways. And what we find in this passage is that that's exactly what a church is supposed to be like. A church is supposed to be a place where people feel cared for. If we go back to, the, to chapter 4, we looked at this passage a couple of weeks ago, and we see kind of the broader principle. Just a page before this, in verse 32, Acts four thirty-two, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. In verse 34, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Steve mentioned our benevolence offering, which we take today. That's very much our sort of equivalent of it. It's an opportunity for us to give, and then we, uh, for a, specifically for caring for the needs of people in the church. It's a, a fund that, that, that deacons and deaconesses oversee, right? because this is what a church is supposed to be like. A church is supposed to be a place where people feel cared for. We come to our passage, and, and we, we see uh, one practical application of this, how this played out in the early church, a particular need Arose and that was a need to care for some of the elderly widows within the community and 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 this was a particularly uh, important problem in that day and age and in that time this of course was a a a time before health health insurance life insurance social security Medicare Medicaid none of those kinds of programs were available to those who were getting older. And particularly if you were a woman, women had very little economic opportunity, job opportunities. Certainly in comparison today, you were pretty much reliant upon your father or your husband. And so then if you get to the end of your life and neither of them are around, well then they were particularly vulnerable. And it, it, there's also evidence that suggests that Jerusalem, where they were, had a higher number of elderly widows than the general population. It seems that a lot of, of Jewish people would, uh, even if they lived in various parts of the Roman Empire, as they got older, they often wanted to return to Jerusalem, and they wanted to, to die there and be buried there. And so oftentimes, uh, they would return, and they wouldn't have any family, and, and then they w- maybe the husband would die. And so there's a higher percentage of elderly widows that needed to be cared for. And so then it seems that a, a problem arises here, right? They're... they're their, the Grecian Jews uh, amongst them complained that the Hebraic Jews, uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of, of food, this, this distribution that was given to those who were in need. Now, some you might suspect that there's some sort of racial prejudice going on here, uh, some sort of prejudice going on, but that's probably not what's going on here because actually, let's talk about these two, two groups. Both the Hebraic Jews and the Grecian Jews were both ethnically Jewish. They were both ethnically Jewish and really culturally Jewish. Really, the only difference, it seems, is that the Hebraic Jews were those who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic, probably Aramaic in that, in that time. And then the Grecian Jews, their primary language was Greek because for hundreds of years, uh, Greek had been the, the primary language of the area since Alexander the Great and all that, right? So, so really, it seems that the only real difference was linguistic. It's a, it seems probably what happened is that when the church first started, uh, the, the original converts came from those who were Hebraic Jews. And then, of course, after Pentecost, they started speaking in tongues and different languages and all of this. And so then it seems that some of the Grecian Jews started to join the community. And it seems like probably what happened is that there was just an oversight, that there was a change, that as they grew, there was an oversight and, and their, their, their needs weren't met. And, and uh, as I read this, there's a sober realization to this. Now realize that there is an inevitability uh, that that at some point the church probably will fail you. It probably will. I mean, we, we we look at the book of Acts and we look at the early church, and and we're you know we want to get back to the early church, right? It's not kind of the whole whole kind of idea here. We need to be more like the early church, and and we see the early church, and it's this place where God is powerfully at work, and and healings are going on, and and people are being uh, you know. Uh, being cared for and, and converted and just God is at work. But, but it seems that even in the early church, there were times when they didn't always get it right. There's sort of an inevitability about it, and, and, and it's, a, it's a sort of a sober realization for me. I have, I have been aware consistently of the times when we've let you down. There have been times when we've let you down. If, you, if you're new and, and you're visiting and, and you came here because your last church let you down, Um, I'll be honest, it's probably just a matter of time before we let you down, too. I mean, hopefully, maybe not in the same way, uh, maybe not with the same severity. We certainly don't want to. That's not our intention, but it can happen. I mean, just this week, I've been made made aware of, I think, situations where we have. People have been overlooked. We see that that's that's what was going on, And, and, and particularly in times and seasons when there's growth particularly in times and seasons where things are changing, like was going on in the early church. Similarly, we're, we're a church that's growing and new people are coming. And, and, and so, unfortunately, there's this inevitability that no matter what we try, there's probably going to be times when people's needs aren't met and overlooked. Are, are overlooked. But, of course, what this is saying is that although that's inevitability, you should do everything you can to make sure that doesn't happen. You should do everything you can to try to, try to make sure that this is a place where people's needs are cared for. That's what the, the church, that's what the church should be. Of course, the needs are, are going to vary from context to context. Uh, of course, we, we've identified, I think, in, in 21st century American culture, one of the things we've identified, one of the greatest needs people have, whether they realize it or not, is the need for community. That's one of the needs that, you know, in the first century, they, they, they needed community too. But community happened so much more naturally in that time than it does now. And so so there's a need for community. That's one of the main reasons why we've launched our community groups is trying as best we can to create environments where people can get to know people and build relationships and have authentic community. Because we, we want to be a church where people's needs are met. I, I, I want you to know that if you have a need, whatever it is, the financial need or or a need for guidance, or, or you have health issues, or whatever it is, come to us. Come to us. We, we want, as best we can, to meet the needs of the people of this church, because that, that's what a church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a place where, where people's needs are met and people are cared for. But what's interesting is that that's actually not the main point of this passage. I mean, that definitely emerges, but that's actually kind of, a, it's kind of a tangent. Actually, there's something else that emerges in this passage. There's a, there's a bigger picture within which that truth, which I've just articulated, needs to be set. That's a truth that needs to be set and placed in its proper context. That there's something else going on here. What is it? Well, I, I think we get a clue here in, in verse 2. Right, so this need arises and it says, so the 12, this is the 12 apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Okay, what's going on here? Well, I, I think we might suspect that what they're, what they're saying is, is that maybe they're prioritizing the spiritual needs of the church over the physical needs of the church. They're saying, well, look, you know, we, we can't, you know, uh, we can't neglect the spiritual needs of the church in order to care for the physical needs of the church. We need to make sure that that's a, a priority, that that's front and center. And and you can see that there's a, a that's possibly what's going on. Or certainly, as we read through scripture, there are places where that priority is emphasized. I mean, think of Jesus when he's, when he's in the desert and he's being tempted by Satan and he's fasting. Jesus is fasting from food and and Satan tempts him to turn the stones into bread. And what does Jesus say? He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. Jesus seems to be suggesting, you know, at the end of the day, what, what's more important than any of your physical needs is your spiritual need, your need for the, for the word of God and, and for it to lead you into a relationship with God. That, that the spiritual needs are what matter. We got, we got to keep that in mind, right? And, and, and I think actually, uh, even though we aren't a church that officially follows the liturgical calendar, uh, like Catholics or Anglicans or, or many other denominations, uh, and so we don't officially practice Lent in any sort of capacity, but I would encourage you to think about uh, engaging in Lent this year. It actually starts this this Wednesday, and and what is Lent? It's just a period. Uh, it's a period where you fast from something. You 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 sort of fast from. From something and, and and the reason you fast from it is to remind yourself once again of what your real need is. what I really need is is God I need my my relationship with him needs to grow, and maybe I've been looking to other things to sort of fill my life, and I've kind of been pulled away from the priority of god that's really what it's about It's It's not so much giving something up as much as it is replacing that with a renewed focus on our relationship with god and Of course, people ask, well what what should I give up for lent and And I just say, well. <laughs> It's really simple. Give up the thing you really don't want to give up. It's really that simple. Just give up that thing you really don't want to give up. Because that thing you really don't want to give up, well that that that's that's probably the thing that might be bordering on idolatry. Idolatry and idol is anything that you look to for your ultimate joy in life and satisfaction apart from God himself, right? It's that thing you you have you have to have it so what is it i mean what what's the thing you don't want to give up maybe for you it's a particular food or maybe it's alcohol or maybe it's tv or you know facebook or i, I don't i don't know what it is and that that's for you to think about that's that's not for your wife to tell you what that what it is, because that's legalism, right? That's how legalism starts, is when we start telling everybody what they need to be giving up. But you think about it, and maybe you ask those, well, what should I give up? What are the things that you think that I should give up? Maybe you're, or you take it yourself, but it's whatever it is. What is that thing you really don't want to give up that's probably what you might want to give up, and you give it up till Easter? So that it's, it's emphasizing this, the priority of our spiritual relationship with God over the physical, it's possible that that's what's going on here. What maybe what they're saying is we've got to make sure we don't lose lose sight of that. And 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 certainly, once again, what I would tell you is that as a church, what, whatever needs you may have—financial, health, whatever they are—and we might be able to help you with that. But without any doubt, the primary thing that each and every one of us needs is our relationship with God. That's the the biggest thing, and and the best thing that we can offer you is to help guide you and help you to understand how that's possible, right? In other words, what I'm saying is that the most important thing is the gospel itself. The gospel is the, the good news that you can actually have a relationship with God. You can be reconciled with God. The heart of the gospel is that we are separated from God because of our sin, because of the sin of the world that we're separated from God. But the heart of the gospel is that God has come for us. That he hasn't just stayed up there waiting for us to get our acts together uh, before we can be in communion with him. This is what's so unique about the Christian understanding of God. And that is that in Jesus, he actually came here. He came here for us. He came here for us and he gave his life for us. He died to forgive us of our sins. To forgive us of our sin, and and doesn't forgiveness require absorbing a cost? Isn't that what it means to forgive somebody, is to just take it upon yourself? This is what we see at the heart of the Christian message, is that in Jesus Christ, God has come to forgive us of our sin, that we might be able to be reconciled with God, to be in relationship with him. And and, and then the more that you're able to enter into that relationship with God, and, and the more you're able to pursue that, and it's a process the more you 're able to find your worth and your value and your identity and your life in God, the less you need to find it in other things. The more you find your worth and your value and your identity in your relationship with God, the less you need to find it in the less you need to find it in your career or in your, your parenting success or, or, or in whatever it is whatever it is that thing that you Find your identity in and in your worth and your value in because, because ultimately it will let you down. Whatever it is, if you look to anything other than God to find your identity and your worth and your value, it will let you down. So the heart of the gospel is that, is that we have an opportunity to be in relationship with God. So, so maybe that's what this is getting at. We need to emphasize that priority, the spiritual Over the physical, because Jesus says, "What good is it if a man gains the whole world, yet he forfeits his soul?" So we might see that in here, but I don't actually think that's the primary emphasis going on here. For a couple of reasons: one is that while certainly there is a place for seeing a difference between spiritual and physical and emphasizing the spiritual, one of the things we actually find throughout the Book of Acts is that they have a much more more holistic view and understanding of what salvation is. The Salvation includes physical healing, and, and, and so, they, they, you know, I mean, they're going around healing people and, and caring for people's needs, and, and they see that as a part of what salvation is. So I, I, I think that though there's a, certainly a place for this, Jesus even talks about this emphasis, nonetheless, certainly in the book of Acts we see a much more holistic picture of of what's going on. So it's possible that that's not really the emphasis that they have in mind here. I think what we find is this. I think that what the apostles are doing here is they are prioritizing not the nature of the ministry, but the direction of the ministry. They're not just prioritizing the nature of the ministry, the spiritual over the physical. They're actually prioritizing the direction of the ministry. And here's what they're saying. We cannot let the internal issues of the church hinder us from our call to be on mission. We cannot let the internal needs, internal issues of the church hinder us from this primary calling to go out and be missionaries in this world. And I think we see this. If you look here, it says, again in verse 2, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, that phrase, word of God, it's interesting because in the book of Acts, it's used 11 times, 10 other than this. And 9 out of those 10 times, it is used in context, which is clearly talking about an outwardly faced evangelistic missionary context. Let me just read a few for you. Acts 6, 7. So the word of God spread the number of disciples in Jerusalem increasingly increased rapidly. Acts 8.14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. The apostles and the brothers throughout, this is Acts 11.1, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Acts 12.24, but the word of God continued to increase, and spread on and on and on in the book of Acts. We see that the ministry of the word of God, more often than not, has this outwardly faced evangelistic thrust to it. So it seems that what they're saying is that we cannot let the internal issues of the church hinder us from being able to to reach out to our missionary outwardly faced context. This gets us right back into the heart of this series. The whole point of this series well what do we call this we've called it living as missionaries and the central idea is that we're called not just to to support missionaries but to live as missionaries we i read a quote from william temple from last week where he says that the church is the only society that exists for people outside of its own membership its purpose is for those outside the church and so so we're all called to live as missionaries and, and i and i said i said uh I've been saying, you know, that missionaries, they're, they're not an, an elite group. You know, they're not the special forces of the Christian community and then everybody else does other things. Now, you actually might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, Kevin, isn't that exactly what's going on here? Right? Actually, isn't it? Aren't, aren't they kind of? separating, you know, the apostles are the special forces and, you know, you guys take care of the internal issues so that we can go out and be evangelistic, right? And, and there's a sense, certainly when you look at the spiritual giftings, certainly some are called uh, more, intently, more intensely to that outwardly faced uh, ministry. So maybe that's what they're going. Maybe they really are setting aside special forces, right? And then those that they call to, to serve for the internal ministry, well, they're just supposed to focus on the internal needs of the church, right? Well, that might make sense, but let's take a look at the people that they appoint. I think this is interesting. We don't know a lot about, uh, we don't know a lot about most of these, most of these guys, but we do know something about the first two, uh, Stephen and Philip. Stephen. Okay, so Stephen gets called, appointed to help deal with this internal, internal matter, right? But what happens in the in the very next passage? Stephen gets martyred. He's the first Christian martyr. Now, let me ask you something. Does he get martyred for distributing food to widows? Is that why he gets martyred? No. No, he gets martyred for going out and sharing his faith with people outside the community. What about, what about Philip? Is Philip just a guy who, who uh, you know, stayed and worked in the internal matters within the church? You know, he's like, well, that's not my responsibility to go out. No, no, just in a couple of chapters later, it says that Philip gets sent to Samaria as a missionary, and, and Philip is the one who witnesses to the Ethiopian eunuch and baptizes him. You see, what they, what the Christians realize, all of them realize, is that no matter what your role is in the church, whether it's, uh, you know, an explicitly external kind of role or 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 an internal role, it didn't matter. They were all missionaries. They all lived as missionaries because they understood that, that this is the heart of what the church is all about. It doesn't exist for itself. It exists to reach those outside. And so what the apostles seem to be saying is that we cannot allow the internal issues of the church to hinder us from our calling to reach those outside. On the outside. Of course, clearly what also emerges here, though, is, well, we can't ignore them either. Right? We can't ignore the internal needs of the church. Right? I mean, this goes back to my first point. The church ought to be a place where people's needs are cared for. Right? We, can't, we can't ignore them. They realize this. You can't just, well, we're not going to worry about the people in the church. We're just going to try to reach those outside the church saying, no, the church is supposed to be a place where people's needs are cared for. And what we need to realize is that needs to be the case not just for us but also for the sake of mission. Right? Our own health, our, our, our own salvation isn't even for us Right, because let's think about what this calling is to be on mission. It's, it's to invite others to come and be a part of a healthy community where they can experience what it means to get their, their needs spiritually and physically met. It's a calling to invite them to come to be a part of that. But, of course, you can't invite people to be a part of a healthy community if your community isn't healthy in the first place. Just as it says, Paul exhorts the elders. He says, he says if, to an elder, he says, if you, can't, if you can't take care of your own household, how can you take care of the church? If you can't handle the needs within your house, how can you handle the needs of the church? And similarly, if the church can't handle the needs within the church, then how can it take care of the needs of those outside the church? So it's clear that though the calling is to reach those, we can't can't ignore the needs of the church. So, what's the solution? How does the church be the church? How does the church function in such a way that it does not neglect its its ultimate calling to reach those on the outside but doesn't ignore those on the inside? And it comes down to one word, leadership. It's all about leadership. What are they doing in this passage? It's leadership development. They're raising up leaders to help Take care of the needs and issues in the church. And, and they're not, I want you to notice here, they're not just raising up doers. They're not just raising up doers. The, the, the word here, uh, we will turn this responsibility over to them. The, this word is a word that's, that's used in the Old Testament to talk about Joseph's responsibility to oversee all of Egypt. This is a word that isn't just talking about being a doer. It's about responsibility. It's about leadership. It's, it's about taking ownership of what's going on. It's not just, just doing the tasks. They're raising up leaders because the only way you can be a church that is that manages to not neglect being outwardly faced but also cares for the needs within the church is to raise up leaders. And so so this, this is why really last year and this year, one of the things that i 'm trying to emphasize we 're trying to emphasize is the raising up of leaders. Even just yesterday, we had another one of our elder development meetings where we have a number of potential elders that we're, we're just seeking to raise up into leadership and, and this year already has been exciting. We have welcomed into some of our leadership positions uh, more newer people into leadership than I think in any year since i 've been here we 've had a lot of, of leaders who have served for a long time. this church has a, a tremendous history, a tremendous history of, of, of strong leadership and leadership that desires ultimately to reach those on the outside. I'll never forget when Laura and I came here for our candidating weekend. And I'll be honest with you, when we first came here, we were thinking we're probably not going to stay here. We had we had been here. We 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 had uh, filled the pulpit once before, and we came and and just to be honest with you, we came and and at the time that we came, it was almost entirely older people. Now, one of the things that tends to be the case, and I had a lot of friends telling me this, kind of warning me about this. You know, they said, you know, if you go into a church with largely older people, oftentimes. They, won't, they don't want to change anything. They, they, just, they're more, you know, they just want to keep the, the traditions and the things that they have going on. And if you go into that context, you're, you're just never going to be able to do any of the things that need to happen to start to reach those on the outside. That, that's the kind of attitude a lot of people have. So I came up here thinking that maybe. And, and, but I'm like, you know what, I feel like God is calling us to come up here. And we came up here and, and all those people that had said that kind of stuff were dead wrong. And I'll never forget the first first meeting that I had with the men of the church the the men came out all the men came out there weren't, weren't that many of them at that time, but but they all came out and and I was kind of expecting I was expecting there to be um uh you know these questions, what are you going to change and you can't do this and what about this and and and, it's, and i've I've shared this story before. I think it's good for us to to share these stories. We even sang in in one of the songs earlier about. The saints of old retelling triumphs of his grace. The importance of hearing the stories of how God has worked in our midst and in our church. And so I'm going to tell this story again, even though some of you may have heard it. So I'm I'm, I'm sitting there talking with the men of the church and just kind of expecting this kind of opposition. And here's what happened. Ed Snyder, not sure if Ed is here uh, this morning or not, but he, he raised his hand and he just said, Pastor Kevin, what can you do to help us reach those outside the church? And that's all we talked about. And from that moment on, Laura and I, wait a minute, wait a minute, maybe, maybe God really wants to do something here. You see, this church is built on a foundation of mission, wanting to reach those outside the walls of this church. I'll tell you another quick story here. Uh, Helmut and Peggy Roosh, I don't think Helmut's here today. Uh, he and Peggy, their health has hindered them from being able to come. Uh, more recently, but I'll never forget in the first couple of weeks that we were here, and I was over at at Helmut's house, and he was caring for us, and and we got into conversation about the church, and and he said to me in in, in this strong, thick German accent, right? He he said, Kevin, I'm not going to try to do the accent. He said, Kevin, I will not leave this church over the music. I mean, I, I was kind of floored by this. I, 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 we, we changed the, the, the music to more of a contemporary style so fast. I actually got more complaints about the music at my last church, which was a bunch of younger people than I've ever gotten here. Because the people of this church have a heart for mission, always have. And they have this desire. They understand it's, it's not just a matter of us. It's about reaching those outside the church. And so, so I come to a passage like this, and I just want to fan those flames, that, that missional identity that is a part of our church. And I want us to just continue to ask ourselves this question. Are my wants and needs hindering the, the ability of this church to reach those on the outside? I think it's important for all of us, myself included, to ask the things that, that I like and want about this church, is it actually hindering our ability to reach those on the outside? I think this passage challenges us to ask ourselves are we grumblers? Are we grumblers? It says here in verse, uh, well, verse 1 The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. The, the word here for complained, I'm sure Luke's intentional about this. So word that's not used that that often. Uh, it's in the Old Testament, uh, I think uh, six times. Five of the times in the Old Testament, it's used to refer to the Israelites wandering in the desert complaining about how God isn't providing for them. Remember this? They're, they're wandering in the desert, and they, they, wish it was, they wish they were back in Egypt. They're, they're just complaining, you know, and, and, and Luke is always wanting to draw parallels between Uh, the the Exodus and and the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. And here I think it's just a little bit of a subtle, hey, are we grumbling? Are we grumbling? We've got to ask ourselves, "Are, are, are are we grumblers? Are my needs and desires hindering our ability to reach those outside the church? But once again while we can't allow ourselves to be distracted by them, we also can't ignore them. The church is supposed to be a place where people's needs are cared for. The church is supposed to be a place where you can come and say, I'm hurting, I need this, and this is supposed to be a place where people's needs are cared for. So once again, how does a church neither neglect... uh, Neglect their calling to be on mission to reach those outside the church, but at the same time not ignore the needs of the church. And Again, the answer is leadership. They raised up leaders who could help to care for the issues of the church so that the, the vision and the mission of the church could stay outwardly focused. And what did they do? They, they, they appointed these leaders, and then they prayed for them. And so what I would like to do to conclude is I would actually like to ask for our leaders to come forward. I emailed you ahead of time. I'd like to ask you to come forward. Our elders, our deacons, our trustees, the leaders of our ministries, those who are currently, currently serving in ministry. We're only a month into 2016, but this is a, a great time to just pray for our leaders, that God would, would use them effectively. So you can start coming forward here. Somebody's got to be first here. <clears throat> right? That's right. Just come on up. You can just come on up here. And I want to remind you, I want to encourage you, uh, community group leaders as well. That's right. If you're a community group leader, we want you to come up as well. Um, I want to remind you that whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that you do, Maricel, come on, get up here. You're Yeah, that's you too. That's right just kind of scanning. I hope I don't miss anybody. I want to remind you that as you serve, in whatever it is that you do, whether your your position is, is really focused on the needs and internal needs of the church, I want us all to remember why we do this. That ultimately, as we look to care for the needs within the church, it's so that we can effectively go out and be on mission. Will you all pray with me? Actually, I'm going to come up here and everybody, yeah, we're going to lay hands here, okay? Sorry, love, I whacked my wife. Okay. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you this morning um, humbled by your grace. Humbled by your incredible love for us humbled by your love and your care for this world. God, in a world that seems increasingly chaotic, Lord, we look at the cross, we look at the grave, and we see a God who says, I'm not finished yet. And so, God, we come before you in humility. We come before you uh, not on our own strength. Lord, it is, is by the power of your spirit that we are even drawn to you. And God, we come before you and, and we humbly ask that you would use us and use our church, Lord, to create a community, a healthy community, Lord, where people are cared for, where people feel like they have a home and a place to be. And Lord, that that, that sense of community would always be looking outward, looking to extend it, looking to reach out into this Community. God, this is an exciting time in the life of our church. We see you at work in so many ways. And God, I just pray that your spirit would work powerfully in the the lives of these leaders. God, I pray that you would give them the strength, those times when it's hard, those times when they get discouraged. God, I pray that they would look to you, that they would rely on you to lift them up. God, I pray for their own relationship with you, their own spiritual needs. God, I pray that this would be a season when they would grow. Personally, in their relationship with you. And God, that their work and their ministry in this church would be an, an overflow, an overflowing of the work that you're doing in them. And then, God, through them and then through this church, Lord, as we raise up more leaders, God, I pray for those in the congregation today, both, both those who have served before and those who maybe have not, and that you might be calling up in, in coming uh, months, uh, years to serve and to lead. I pray that you would start working in them now, that we would, by your spirit, develop a leadership culture that can really carry this church forward and make us effective in reaching those on the outside. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.